Hey everyone and welcome to episode 3 of On My Mind. In this episode I'm going to be talking about one of the things that affects probably almost everyone at some point in their lives and that's heartbreak. So specifically in this episode I'm going to be talking about romantic heartbreak, breakups, separations, that kind of thing. I'll be sharing some of my own personal experiences of that and also talking about what you go through kind of on a physiological level when when your heart's broken and hopefully these words might give some comfort to some of the people out there that I know who are going through this at the moment. So let's get stuck in. So yes, welcome everyone. Episode three. Um, this is this actually the second time I've attempted to record this episode. The first time I kind of realised that I spent 40 minutes going on in a really depressing tone, which I guess the subject of heartbreak does deserve a sense of um, humility. It does deserve a sense of, you know, uh, treating it as delicately as it can be for some people. But wow, I listened back to it and I thought, this isn't cool. People are going to be, uh, if they're listening to this with a little bit of heartbreak as it is, then by the time they've listened to me speak for 40 minutes in a monotone, depressing way, they're going to be a lot worse than I had, uh, I'd wanted. So, uh, so yeah, this is second attempt, actually, which is interesting because I've not done a second attempt podcast before. So it'll be, uh, you obviously won't know what's missing from the first one or what's new that wasn't in that one. Um, and I could have chosen not to share with you that this was a second attempt at all. But um, as I like to be authentic, um, I feel like it's important to share that with you. So, um, so yeah, let's let's get stuck into the subject of heartbreak. Um, I would say it's one of the things that is a defining experience for everyone that I've spoken to. So whether you've had a heartbreak in the past, whether you're going through one now, um, whether you've been fortunate enough to not have one and you're listening and thinking... You know, I'm just curious about what heartbreak is. Um, I would describe it as a life-defining event. And one of the, the myths with heartbreak, which I want to dispel really early on, is that it doesn't matter whether you've been with your partner for 10 days, 10 months or 10 years. It really doesn't because um, it's not about the time. It's about the connection that you had with that person. And actually, you know, heartbreak can bring up so much stuff from our past it can bring up, it's like stirring a muddy puddle, you know, um, things that we thought had settled to the bottom can often get resurfaced with a with a heartbreak. And and that's kind of a little bit about what I want to uh, get my words in a little bit about what I want to talk to you about today. So, um, so yeah, I'm going to be bringing in some of my personal experiences of heartbreak and sharing some of my own um, kind of stories, some of which you might giggle at, some of which you will um, you will feel at the heartfelt level that I felt them at. Hopefully, that's the point of sharing. I guess is to connect with other people authentically, or at least that's why I do it. So, so yeah, I want to talk about my personal experience. I want to talk about some of the um, in inverted commas science of heartbreak, and I feel that's important because. There were moments when I felt like I was going absolutely insane when I had my uh, my heartbreaking experience, um, and it would have been useful for me to know some of the things that I know now, back then, so I didn't think that I was going to end up in um, a, some sort of institution. So yes, 
Um, I'll be referencing a book called The Journey from Abandonment to Healing by a lady called Susan Anderson, which I would highly recommend anybody read if you have gone through a breakthrough or are going through one. It was a deeply healing book for me, and some of the things that she mentions in there resonated really loud as I uh, as I read them in hindsight. So, so yeah, where do we start with um, with heartbreak? It's such a big subject, and I'm mindful that I don't want to spend um, hours talking about it. It feels like we could spend hours talking about it, but I guess for me, um, it was a completely disorientating experience. And again, one of the one of the myths I think about heartbreak is that very often the person that instigates the breakup. So in that case, that was me. It was a a long protracted separation with my ex, but it was ultimately me that that sort of laid the decision down and said, no, this has to stop and I'm choosing for it to stop. Um, And I think one of the myths is that um, the person that ends the relationship doesn't get as much sympathy or doesn't get as much um, kind of tolerance and compassion because it's seen that, well, you ended it, so you wanted this and therefore, you know, you just kind kind of put up with it. And I found that to be particularly difficult because it was my decision um, and there was a sense from some people that, well, you know, this is what you wanted. I don't understand why you're moping around and why you're talking about being heartbroken. And it's a it's a myth because I think whoever takes control of the decision um, is arguably, and I don't wish to sort of sm- blow smoke at my own ass here but arguably it is courageous if indeed that person is um is seeing something in the relationship that is destructive for both um then it is it takes one person to step forward and make that make that decision ultimately and it and it can be commended as courageous um of course it can also be um a kind of uh, it can also be very hurtful to the other person and we must recognize that um but ultimately i think if you've been in any kind of relationship um and we would love it wouldn't it wouldn't we if we could get to a point where um it was very mutual and both parties sat down and and talked it through but invariably i think in in this situation there is always one person that perhaps does want the relationship to end and another person that doesn't and that's where true heartbreak can come come from especially in some instances it might come as a surprise to the other partner you know it can be that you're going along merrily thinking that everything's fine and then all of a sudden you're you're having a conversation with your partner and it's um and it's over and you're left kind of with no sense that that was going to happen so there's many different ways and I guess the whole point of me just spending a few minutes describing that was that it it seems really um it seems really tempting to apportion blame in a breakup and i guess when we're trying to make sense of things which is certainly one of the stages of of the process for want of a better less clinical term but when we're trying to make sense of what's happened it can feel really tempting to go down down the route of blame and what I learned through my process of heartbreak was that actually, you know what, that comes back to bite you in the arse at some point. It comes back um, because a relationship consists of two people um, or more, you know, um, two or more people. And, and the people that are in that relationship ultimately are the ones that, that create the relationship. So if one person isn't happy, then arguably the relationship is not a happy relationship. And I think... Um, that's something to bear in mind as we as we talk about 
these feelings that can come up when we're when we're at the end of a relationship and you know the end is like a it's it's not like a loss it is a loss so you know if you look to the the literature on this it, a lot of heartbreak is very very similar to a bereavement you know that that sense of loss that sense of uh, who am I how has this happened and that kind of spinning out that I talked about at the start so so yeah you know heartbreak can be likened to um, a bereavement because in a sense it is exactly that you know that person is no longer with you that relationship is over and you are grieving all of the things that were in that relationship so you're not you're not just grieving the loss of the person you're grieving that that identity that that relationship gave you you're grieving the future plans that you may have had with your partner um you're grieving the touch and smell and sight of having that person in your life so there's a there's a hell of a lot that goes on when when hearts are broken and as i said you know we we learn to live with grief and you know a lot of um counselors and psychotherapists like me would would tell you if you're grieving that actually the grief never gets smaller um inside of you you just learn to build a life around the grief so when something triggers that so when you have another loss be it a bereavement be it a heartache um, or the end of a relationship, it can bring about all of that grief that is still present because it never really goes away. We just learn to deal with it and we build our lives around it so we, we're less sensitive to it. But it's a really important point to remember because, you know, often when people have their hearts broken, it's not just the relationship itself that they begin to grieve. It's all of the pastimes that they have either been um, bereft or in the case of abandonment you know it can bring about a lot of strong feelings about abandonment and that's that's a important point because so many relationships when they develop and they go from months into years um, even the early relationships that I talked about you know the 10-day relationships there can be a confusion about love and attachment um, I'm not going to explore that in this podcast um, because it doesn't feel like we would have enough time to do it justice. But when I when I say the difference between love and attachment, I guess a difference between I love this person and I want to be with them and I want their happiness in our relationship versus I I love this person and I'm with them because I need to be with them because I would be broken without them or I would somehow be less of a person without them. And those two standpoints, you know, we could spend hours talking about that. And I think at some point I will do a podcast on that um, once I've got some some thoughts um, around it enough to share with you. But for now, let's just um, let's just go into the stages of heartbreak, because that was the the notion of this podcast was to kind of talk about those stages, talk about the fact that it's not a linear process you know I'm going to put it out here in in the five stages that Susan outlines in her book but actually you know every heart breaks differently and every heart rebuilds differently and every love is different so therefore every heartbreak will be different but I think having some sense of what might be going on for you both psychologically and physiologically physiologically rather um is really important and for some people um i say it's really important it's really important for some people 
Um, so you might not get any sense of comfort from this. You might just want to sit with your feelings, and I would encourage you to do that wherever you are on the the spectrum of wanting um, theories and advice and consultation and all that kind of stuff. But um, let's just get stuck into it because I think it's uh, I think it's important to to share some of my personal experience with you because it might help you realize that you're not going mad um or if you're looking back in hindsight at a heartbreak it might help you uh, make sense of what was going on for you which can be comforting so yeah i um my heartbreak was almost three years ago now actually and as i said i was uh, i was the one that instigated it um and i was really kind of like at the time that was sort of like spring 2015 and i thought yep i've got this um i know what i need to do i need to push through this relationship is not serving either of us um i loved my ex-partner dearly i still have a lot of strong feelings of of love towards him um but ultimately i knew that the relationship was was reaching a stage that was dysfunctional and it wasn't serving either of us in terms of our well-being but i i had this really kind of almost overly confident stance that well if i end this relationship then i'm going to come out from it much better because it will have been me taking control etc etc and that feeling kind of was was very present um after the uh, the penultimate conversation um and then the conversation where we said yeah it's done um and i kind of did have that i had tall shoulders and thought yeah i've got this and um in that in that time that followed my ex was was still reeling from that conversation and was keen to reconcile but i was able to you know kind of keep the boundary um and i thought well this heartbreak stuff you know what's all that about people talk about you know being bewildered and all this kind of stuff i thought i think i've got this i think <laughs> i think i've got it licked um and then something happened which i couldn't have foreseen um it was actually bizarrely i i journal a lot of my experiences and, and a lot of uh, what happens in my life and i was journaling just the week before what i'm about to tell you happened and in my journal i was saying you know i feel really confident i feel like you know it's the right decision i feel like you know my ex isn't taking it too well but it's important that i hold the boundary for both of us etc um and i wrote in there you know uh, i feel like this this space will give me time to heal um my worst nightmare however is that in that time he meets somebody else um and you know what's coming so yeah a week later um i got taken aside by my ex who said yep um i just want you to know that i met somebody else and i'm really happy and um i think it's the best thing that we broke up and i'm kind of moving on with my life and i went from someone that had really got his shit together and felt really confident about his decision to being an absolute wreck literally within a split second and the only way that i can describe what followed was that my whole world collapsed inwards um in the moment that he told me i felt that my my vision was narrowing i thought i was going to pass out um it was a traumatic event um, and we know with traumatic events that we tend to have one of three responses we either fight flight or freeze 
Um, and I chose flight that day. I couldn't bear to be in the same space as as where that news had been delivered. And I went back into the office where we were running a business together. I grabbed my bag and I just left. Um, and I ran. I literally ran all the way back to my apartment um, and couldn't make sense of what was going on. I thought I was losing my mind. I thought, this is it. I'm, I've gone cuckoo. Um, I couldn't tell you now really what I did that day or that week it was just an insane kind of um period of time and and Susan calls this stage shattering which is the shock of what's happening and all those feelings of abandonment that had gone before all those feelings of loss all of that stuff all just got kind of like churned up and brought right up to the surface and I was tender you know that 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 almost sounds too delicate I mean it was raw you know I was um in my apartment just pacing up and down the floors like I couldn't make sense of it I couldn't believe it um it was just like no this isn't happening surely this isn't the case um and I remember sort of texting him and telling him how unkind he was and some probably not very pleasant things but I was just so, I was shattering and I was trying to make sense of it. And I was like, hold on a second, Adam, like you wanted this. This was your decision. All, you know, he's doing is he's moving on with his life. He's met someone else. And I just, I couldn't, it was just too much to process. And, and um, you know, since then I've understood more about trauma. And recently a therapist sort of gave a really good explanation of what happens when we're traumatized. And you know, he said, Thousands of years ago, imagine, you're kind of like in the forest, you're scratching around, you're picking berries and you're getting some food for the evening and then bam, out pops a saber-toothed tiger. What doesn't happen is you don't go, oh, there's a saber-toothed tiger in front of me. What lovely fur. Um, oh, it appears to be standing on a rock ready to pounce on me and the sky is blue and the sun shining and in the background I can hear birds. That that definitely doesn't happen. Kel <laughs> uh, surprise. What definitely does happen is that the brain locks down. So it goes into that fight, flight, freeze response and you choose one of them and you enact it. And when you enact it, the surge of adrenaline comes up to to assist you in whatever you've enacted. Now, most of the time we would run. Um, that's what I did. Um, and you're just literally running through that, that jungle, running through that jungle, that forest, whatever it is. And you don't care that you fall over, that you, you know, graze your arm. You don't care that you fall on a rock and bang your knee or run through a bramble bush and get absolutely shredded. You don't care. You're just, you're not even processing that stuff. You're just running. And eventually you find a tree and you run up the tree and you sit there and once you're sat, that's when you begin to process what just happened. So, you know, for me, I'll talk about the the timeline of that process. But, you know, for that, for that first week, I was running through the forest. I was just pegging it and I wasn't looking behind me. I was just, you know, blindly running, trying to get away from that, that deeply traumatic event. Um, and I would say that probably lasted a week or so that process and um you know all of the stuff was surfacing I was uncontrollably in tears one minute I was you know hysterically laughing the next it was it was definitely like I think if anybody in a professional capacity had seen me they'd have probably um taken away my liberties because I was I was just going mad and 
you know, I was trying to talk to people about it, but I couldn't find the words to even speak at times. It was just, it was shocking. Shocking, literally shocking. I was shattering. So that first stage is is that kind of like, bam, it hits you. And I think, you know, even if you've had a conversation with somebody, even if it's been a protracted breakup as it was for, for me and my ex, you know, it was it was almost inevitable at most points, um, given the course of events that had preceded that. Um, I think there's a difference between acknowledging what's about to happen and then the reality of it actually actually happening. And for me, there was definitely an intellectual process going, yeah, okay, you've got this, this is the right thing. And then, bang, there was a really, really felt emotional response to, I guess, knowing that it was done. You know, when when I sort of taken control and said this relationship's over but my ex was still texting me and still conversing with me and saying are you sure you know I think we could make this work there was a sense of having the upper hand you know having some control and thinking do you know what actually I can I can kind of keep this guy over here and then if needs be and if I get a wobble I can just bring him back on board um you know I recognize that's incredibly dysfunctional and and there is no place for that in a healthy relationship um but it was something about when he met somebody else i knew that door was closed and it was like shit um that's done and i know because i'd been with my ex for 13 years that the look in his eyes was no it's done you know there was no going back so yeah that first week pretty rough and then came a uh, I mean, none of these stages are nice and none of them are better than the other. They're just all, you just got to get through them. And the next stage for me was withdrawal. Uh, now, Susan in her book makes reference to what we know about this is that when you're when you're with somebody um, for any period of time, once you get in some kind of sync with them, your body starts to release um, chemicals in response to them. And those chemicals are as addictive as opioid drugs. So you get used to that and their touch can bring a release of those chemicals. Their scent can bring a release of those chemicals. So when you're not with that person anymore um, and there is a disconnect and you're not able to to experience them, your body starts to have withdrawal symptoms. And this was the bit where, you know, I thought I was going insane before, but this second stage of withdrawal was um, mind bending because I remember one stage being lay on my bed and I had I was I had cold sweats. Um, I felt like my heart was going to leave my chest. I felt like it was it was, um, a, you know, an acute panic attack I guess that's what it felt like um, and I was writhing around on the bed grabbing at the corners of the mattress just trying to the the, the pain felt physical um, and you know I was I was seeking anything that I could that re- would remind me of him and and this is an important point in the withdrawal process and this is where I think do you know there's a real call for compassion because you know in this country, we do take drug addicts. Unfortunately, the way that we treat them, I think, is is it leaves a lot to be desired. But we do take heroin addicts and we throw them in cells and we we let them go cold turkey. And it's inhumane on on every level. You know, fortunately, things are changing and we're starting to treat those people with more dignity. But you know what? Uh, I digress. You know, with heartbreak, it is a it is a true withdrawal symptom. So 
if you find yourself in the midst of a heartbreak, you know, going on to your ex's social media or, you know, as I did, kind of trying to find any bit of clothing that smelt like them, then, you know, please don't think that there's anything wrong with you. You are just simply trying to get your fix of that person. You know, I did all those things and I, I would find myself sending messages to him just to get that his name flash up on my phone, you know, just to get any sense of contact was um was a hit you know any sense of contact was a hit for me so there was real withdrawal symptoms and you know it was painful it was it was it was horrific actually it wasn't just painful I didn't eat for days I didn't sleep for days I was waking up at 6am and anybody that knows me will know that I ain't no early riser, you know, I am, I am a 7.30, 8 o'clock man, and even that is, a, you know, at a push when I'm, when I'm fully in my, in my, in my uh, flow, I want to be up at like 8 o'clock, and then I'm a night owl, I won't go to bed till late, but I couldn't sleep, I was chronically awake, you know, I had insomnia, and I just wish I'd known the science of heartbreak back then, because I, I couldn't, make sense of what was happening to my body because I was feeling it on a on a physiological level you know I had the tremors I had the sweats I had headaches I had you know an upset stomach I was I found myself spontaneously being sick at certain points you know my body was was literally craving that person and, and you know my particular heartbreak was difficult because my ex and I worked together so I'd had that news and yet I had to go into the office every day and I would get my hit because I would see him, but also I knew that I couldn't touch and I couldn't smell because, of course, that would be weird. Um, so, you know, just even being around was like, I suppose it would be like waving a bag of heroin at an addict. You know, it's like, why would you do that? You would never do that. It would be it would be vile. And I was I guess I was doing that to myself in a way, um, which can bring about all sorts of feelings of shame when you get later down the um, the healing healing process so yeah withdrawal is is it's a real thing guys it's it's an actual real thing and it can hurt you know it can feel painful and that for me lasted for probably a month you know realistically it was a month of weaning myself off um and even then it was a protracted process because as i say you know we were in each other's company regularly um it was awful no other way to talk about it it was it was vile and I just wish I'd been able to find some self-compassion, which is what I'm trying to impart to those listening that, you know, if if you know of anyone that's going through heartbreak or you're going through it yourself, then, you know, compassion is so important in all this, in all the stages. But, you know, especially this one, because you're spinning out and you're not being able to make sense of it. But trust me, something physical is happening in your body. Chemicals are not being released like they used to. And that can feel really, really uh, disorientating. So what happens next? Well, again, I can only speak from my own my own experience of this. Um, but I've spoken to other people about it. Um, I read a lot of blogs when my heart was breaking. And, and the next stage was um, internalizing the rejection. So that, that's Susan's words, not mine. Um, but internalizing the rejection, what does she mean by that? Well, this is when we turn on ourselves. So we kind of like, we're over the shock of like, okay, that's that relationship is over and we've, we've done some withdrawal. We're no longer like, 
pining after the partner you know there will certainly be there will certainly be aspects of that um and arguably i would say you can always go back there you know you can always go back to um reminiscing in in a healthy way but in that in the withdrawal time it's like give me more of that person i need more of that person and you know you have to keep a check on that because i think it can become you know it can become an obsession and like any um addict you know you've got to you've got to compassionately wean yourself off whatever it is you're addicted to um and once you've done that and uh, you know i'm going to post a video um with this blog a uh, youtube video that if you're interested it's a really um really good psychotherapist he posts a a story on how to kind of speed up the uh, the heartbreak process and give some hints and tips about that so i'm not going to go into that now but um he does it much better than than me it's only 10 minutes long i would encourage you to watch it but um yeah the next bit is internalizing the rejection and that's when you you start to think okay um either i didn't see this coming or it was me that ended it and why am i feeling this way etc 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 so you start to turn on yourself and it might be, you know, the dialogue might be, well, you know, if they can move on that quickly, then I couldn't have been that special to them. Or it might be, oh, my God, you know, you're feeling this much pain, which must mean you really love them. And then you let that go. You know, if you're that stupid, you don't even deserve a relationship. All this kind of like the inner critic is going to come out in force because you're no longer in the kind of the... Uh, the the running phase you're no longer in the kind of like traumatic phase you're doing a little bit of reflection now um and that's when it's it's dangerous because you can really turn on yourself and what i would say is you know give that give that internal voice a space whether that be with a trusted friend whether it's with a therapist um whether it is um you know putting it in a journal whatever it is but you know, it's better to have that voice out and aired because if it's not out and aired, there's a danger that you uh, in you further internalize it and you suppress it. So give it give it some space, but also reason with it compassionately. So a therapist will be able to help you do that. A good friend will be able to help you do that. But if you choose to do it on your own, you know, write down in your journal the the critical things that that are being said, but then respond to them from a place of compassion. Um, so if your critical voice is saying, you know, you're such a dickhead for leaving, um, nobody will ever love you again if you can make such bad choices, you know, the, the compassionate voice might say, you know, I did what I felt was right at the time, there were a number of reasons why, and I'm currently in the middle of healing, so thanks for your input, but I'm choosing compassion today. You know, there's that for me was a, was was powerful when I got told about that. Um and you know the the there might be a tendency to like jump into therapy at this point um but a lot of the research on on trauma tells us that actually for a month after you should just be with the feeling and process it and create the the story around it and then take that into therapy so i would encourage you to you know maybe follow some of that that evidence guidance which is you know don't the heartbreak is um it's necessary to go through the shattering and the withdrawal to kind of make sense of what's happened before you start unpicking it with somebody else but that doesn't mean sit with it on your own and not talk to friends about it of course but um i'm talking about like deep therapeutic work maybe leave that a few weeks so yeah internalizing the rejection is not a healthy place to be it's not going to serve you but it's probably a place you're going to go and just recognize that that's where you're at um and be a compassionate best friend of yourself
is what I would say. Um, I definitely went to that place. I became very self-critical. Um, I started using um, sex, alcohol and drugs as a uh, self-medication to forget those feelings and try and get rid of them. It wasn't it wasn't pretty. Um, but that's what can happen when you're trying to numb out a voice that's really critical. You can go to some pretty destructive things to do that. Um, you know, what I would say now is just just be be kind to yourself because as I've explained, you're going through some tough stuff. So um, Susan offers up the next stage as being rage. Um, and <laughs> I kind of laugh about this because there was one evening where I was definitely in rage and I'd seen a picture of my ex and his new partner online and I just like literally flipped my lid and I pulled out a suitcase from underneath my bed and I'm not a, I'm not an aggressive guy like people who know me would say I would like to think they would describe me as being pretty chilled out and relaxed well I lost my shit and this poor suitcase got a hammering I, I wouldn't say I've punched anything before in my life um, but this suitcase got a got a really good beating up um and i was livid i was livid that this had happened to me and i was determined that it would never happen again like nobody would ever hurt me ever again i would never allow myself to get into this situation um and that was that was rage i can see it now clearly i and i was like um you know susan in her book says that this is where we calcify our defenses and it's important to acknowledge feelings at all times. And you'll hear me say that throughout podcasts, like all feelings are okay. And all feelings um, need to be explored and expressed. Like it's it's important to express our feelings in a healthy, constructive way. Um, you know, if that suitcase had been another person, that wouldn't have been healthy or constructive. But actually, you know what? Knocking five rounds out of a, a suitcase, I think I think that's all right. I think that's that's kind of a healthy exit of all of that pent-up emotion. But if we spend too long in rage and we spend too long with the narrative of like, I'm never going to let this happen to me again, we can end up kind of like, you know, she talks about calcifying our defenses and I, I, I interpret that as calcifying our hearts. You know, we can become bitter, we can become resentful, all those feelings that kind of prevent us from moving on with our lives. So I think it's important to acknowledge the anger and I think it's important to acknowledge if, if any part of your breakup you feel has been unfair or unjust or mean-spirited or whatever it is, like, yeah, definitely acknowledge those feelings, but don't spend forever with them you know, note them down in a journal, get them out on paper, but again, reason with them from a rational, compassionate friend. You know, if your if your rage is saying, I'm never gonna let anybody in again, um, you know, your compassionate best friend might say, You loved once, you can love again, but it might take time, you know. Um, I think the theme that I'm hoping that you're picking up through all of this is that like compassion is everything compassion is everything and um yeah compassion it's important so what happens after those stages well for me um like i say you know the shattering was a week the withdrawal symptoms about a month internalizing the rejection was probably a good three months the rage didn't actually last all that long with me maybe maybe a month or six weeks i i struggle with anger um as an individual you know that's something that i i know that i um would like to develop <laughs> not like i want to develop to be a more angry person but um i know that anger is is a 
as a viable and okay feeling to have like and it's um it's relevant um in some situations and I struggled to express it so for me like sitting with rage was difficult so I didn't spend too long in that phase um but I did spend you know longer than I would have liked let's say and then the final the final stage um that Susan mentions in her book is the lifting stage as and she defines that as when we start to focus on relationships with others again so for this whole time we have been um you know immersed in ourselves we have been very introspective we have been the world is you know done this to us and that person's done this to us and we're very much about kind of looking within we're very much about kind of uh, we're self-obsessed and that's that's absolutely right you know we've had our hearts broken so why shouldn't we be our own best friend in that moment but lifting is when you recognize that you know life is starting to get some sense of order to it again some sense of um, stability and you know for me my mum gave me the best advice and I would phone her every day during the uh, the, the first six months after my ex and I broke up and I would tell her that you know I just couldn't imagine a day where I wasn't thinking about him every second and you're know, waking up in the night and oh that's him again and then you know going to sleep and and thinking god the only the only time I get to not think about this person is when I'm asleep and even then he would show up in my dreams and she offered a very um a very good piece of advice and she said Adam one day um you will get to a certain point in the day maybe lunchtime and you'll think oh I've not thought about him today. And then you'll have a secondary thought, which will be, actually, I can't remember the last time I did think about him. Um, and she said, you won't, it won't consciously happen. You won't know it's happened until you look back and think, oh, yeah, actually. Uh, and that, that happened for me probably about, uh, probably a good nine or ten months after we we broke up. And I would say that, you know, probably for most of that nine months, I was thinking about him every minute, every second of every day. And it was like torturous. But then I just remember thinking, oh, wow, I haven't I haven't thought about him today. And actually, I'm not sure I did yesterday either. That's strange. Um, and it was a really liberating feeling because it was a sign of healing. You know, it was a sign that, OK, maybe it's not going to be like this forever because I'd read all the blogs. I'd read everything about heartbreak and I'd read everything, you know, that people said and they were like, you know, time, it's just time. Time's a great healer. I was like, I don't want time. I want the magic pill that takes this away. And um, and also thinking, no, this heartbreak's different to everyone else's. It's not time. It's not, you know, time that's needed. Something weird has happened and I think I might need surgery for it, you know. Um, it was really strange. But yeah, that day was a liberating day because I thought, oh, actually maybe there is an end in sight to this. Um, and I'm really mindful that, you know, I've painted out my time scale on this and I've done it in a very linear way, but I hopped around that all all the way, you know. There were moments where, you know, right up until, you know, a couple of years ago, I was still, still in shattering, you know, even 12, 18 months on, I could still remember that day when he told me that he'd met someone else and, and the feeling of shattering. And, f and for, you know, maybe five, 10 seconds, I would be, back fully within shattering so I knew 
I knew what it could be like um, and I knew that I could go back there and I, I certainly didn't go, oh, it's been a month now, it's time to turn on the rage. You know, that's not how this works. And for some people, you know, this can be a process that takes years. You know, some people this can be a process that they spend their whole lives kind of working through because, like I said at the start, no heart is the same. So no heart breaks the same, no love is the same. So you know, that by definition means that you know, the way that a heart breaks will be the same. But when you get to that final stage, you know, I think there are things that you can do to not complicate the process. Um, not, uh, you know, if you think about heartbreak as a wound, and I know that Susan in her book uses that metaphor quite a lot. I think, you know, the wound is like, you know, it's ripped open at the start. And I think it needs compassion and gentle care and attentiveness to to heal properly uh, but I think there are things that we do to infect it if we're not careful and I alluded to that when I talked about the withdrawal you know yes you're going to withdraw but if you're still you know three six months later actively going and seeking out your partner's Instagram account to look for pictures of them or sending them messages just to get a response then you know, that's something that you want to keep a check on because it's not healthy for you you know, you're not you're not being kind to yourself when you're doing that. You're just holding yourself in suffering. Um, so I think the, you know, all hearts heal at a different at a different rate. But I think sometimes we do things to infect them. You know, I I would discourage alcohol and drugs and um, un, unsolicited sex. And by that, I, unsolicited sex, I mean you know, casual sex with no meaning is probably what I meant because those things are really kind of like go-to behaviours. You know, they feel great in the moment because they numb us out. But, you know, getting through a heartbreak, the only way out is through. You know, you might want to deny that reality at times. And yes, you know, be human with yourself if you slip up, if you have a drink or you do some drugs or you sleep with somebody and the next morning you wake up and you're like, oh no, why did I do that? Don't let it be something that you add to the to the basket of shame to deal with. Just be kind to yourself and go, okay, well, I'm healing. I'm going to trip up. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to be unkind to myself. But you know, guess what? When I'm unkind to myself, what do I need to do? I don't need to be unkind to myself again. I need to forgive myself for my behavior and, and move on and, and, you know, tell myself that I will attempt to make a better decision next time. But yeah, alcohol, drugs and those sorts of things, addictions, anything, shopping, you know, anything that, that can become addictive, I think can really kind of uh, infect the process. You know, it can it can really affect how our healing um takes place and I would encourage you to just you know it's hard not to not to want to numb out from those things but if you can just go through it and think okay big deep breath I've got to get through this there will be another side to it you know there is another side to it so I've spoken very much about um as if it were you going through the heartbreak that seems to be the style that I like to use when I'm on these podcasts as if I'm talking to you but you know think about people in your life that might be going through this Think about the people that um, that might need to hear some kind words from you. You know, I would say that um, this applies to everyone at some point in their lives. So if you feel like what's been shared has been useful or you think that there's somebody that you know that might like to hear these words, then please do um, share the podcast with them, let them know about it, forward it on. 
Um, I think I'm going to leave it there. That's quite a long podcast for me. It's uh, quite a lot to chew over and think about. As always, I would welcome your comments and feedback, um, if you'd be so kind as to leave some of that. If you're listening on iTunes, then um, guess what? I need to get some feedback on it. And five-star feedback means I get... um, jumped up the search menus when people are searching for this type of podcast so i'd really appreciate that if you could do that if you're on soundcloud then just hit like maybe follow me and leave a comment um but yeah i'll leave that with you for now Uh, on a final note if you are going through a heartbreak then you're not alone um but it is your heartbreak and you can respect it as such you know it's okay to to grieve it's okay to be upset, it's okay to pine after your partner, it's okay to have all those feelings, they're completely normal, Um, but be kind to yourself, be kind to yourself, listen to your breaking heart, Um, treat it as if it is as delicate as it is, and don't do anything to infect it, you know, it's a wound and it needs to heal and it will heal and in time it will get better um, and things will be different and your life will get steady again. And whilst you might think it now that you will never love again, um, if you choose, you will. If you choose to love again, you will. Because for some reason, us humans like to open up our hearts. It's what we're here for. We're here to love. But to love is a risk. And it's a risk that we all take. Um, But the, the plus side of that is that when we love with all our hearts, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. But the risk of that is that We're going to get hurt. So take care, guys. Thanks for listening, and I'll speak to you soon. If you got this far, thanks for listening. I hope in sharing both my story and some insights, you found words that are either comforting, interesting, or both. As always, I invite you to like, comment, or share with someone who might value what you've just listened to. And if you're feeling especially kind, you might want to leave a five-star review on iTunes or a like on SoundCloud. Take care, go lightly, stay safe, and we'll speak again soon.